Welcome to Laundry Day, an unfolding series of conversations between artists, friends and collaborators gathered through Crossings, a group show about intimacies and distances. Each episode explores how the works in Crossings resonate, where they intersect and collide, and where they uncover new meanings. Laundry Day is a chance to connect from a distance. In this episode, artist Emma McIntyre speaks from LA with friend and gallerist Sarah Hopkinson in Auckland. Hi. Hi. <laughs> I can start with a question. Yeah. I'm, it might just I'm ready like... for it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was thinking when you work closely with an artist and when you talk all the time, you don't always... I guess you make assumptions about certain things within the practice, particularly like developments or changes. And I thought this might be a fun opportunity to ask you some questions directly. (laughs) (laughs) And so what painting are you working on at the moment? At the moment, I... I'm working on a lot of paintings in Paris for my show Eau de Paris. So I'm in this kind of stage, which I love, uh, which is, you know, I have this new process in the studio because I'm now painting on oil ground, which takes weeks to dry. And it means that I'm oil from the ground up now, which is, which in the past I was kind of starting with a couple of layers of acrylic or flash and then moving to oil. So there's a lot more waiting time between layers, which I think that's really changed things in the studio because it's meant that instead of working on one painting at a time and pretty much finishing it, I maybe have to have seven or eight works on the go at once and have to just sometimes turn them around and not think about them for two weeks or have them in the early stages looking at me in the studio. So I spend a lot of time staring at paintings these days, I think more time than ever. When you start a painting, I remember in your Auckland studio, you would often have little preparatory, not sketches, but little watercolours or little paintings that on cardboard or paper that would perhaps help you work out a colour combination or how a particular type of line sits next to another one. They weren't sketches or models for bigger paintings, but they were like, I don't know, I always saw them as little kind of punctuations in your bigger kind of vocabulary. Do you still work in that way? How do you start? I work somewhat in that way. I think it's changed a little bit in the way that now I also work on paper. I have little works on paper as well that are even kind of looser and rougher than the little works I made on card. And I still make the little works on card as well sometimes. And nowadays they're less preparatory kind of ideas for a bigger painting sometimes it's almost these small ones like a collection of gestures or me trying out a new way of making a mark or I've got colour left on my palette and I don't want to waste it so I'll just smear it all over the paper in some way and mm. see what happens or it's because that I've bought a few new colours and I want to test them out so there's all sorts of reasons that they kind of come into being and then I've stuck them all over my studio all so that they're always there kind of in the corner of my vision when I'm painting and I find myself subconsciously when I'm in the middle of a bigger painting at that stage where I'm, it's much more like intuitive and yeah, the kind of final stage of painting is very like intense and fast and I've got like a lot of brushes and a lot of colours on my palette and it's all really intense 
before I step back and then maybe make some more uh, kind of there's a strategic strategic decisions. decisions. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. So in that moment, I find myself often looking at. I just like look at corners of my studio. I don't know what I'm looking for, but I guess looking for ideas. And so I'll be looking at the works of paper on the wall. And yeah, so that's kind of my process for at the moment in terms of some kind of drawing early stage of the bigger paintings. And the other thing that I've always done, as you know, is make the really little ones, as in the little paintings on stretched canvas, which also play a role in the bigger works which I've been trying to figure out for the past couple of years exactly what they're doing and I think I've realized now that there's this kind of there's like a real call and response between the two of them but there's also this they're very important to each other in the way that ideas seem to bounce between from small to big and back again. I guess I've always thought of your paintings particularly this like you you very rarely make a medium-sized painting nowadays Mm -hmm. Yeah, and no. I've always felt for me that was a way to direct a viewer's attention to to focus on intensity, the, the sort of energy or almost kind of fever of a, of a painting, and that perhaps becomes less obvious in a medium-sized thing. Yeah. So yeah, totally. like a, a very small thing has absolutely its own presence and, and tone and takes up this space in a very particular way and then like a big painting does the same thing at the other end of the spectrum there's almost I think there's nothing polite about the size of some of your big paintings <laughs> and there's something perverse about this how small some of your initial <laughs> yeah. paintings are you know I do think of your work as having I mean it's such an overused word now but like a punk attitude just in the sense that it's yeah I guess as I said, kind of favours in energy over virtuosity or skill yeah. mm-hmm. and that that is actually somehow at quite a radical space still, even mm-hmm. after all of these years. I mean, all of these years since we started talking about punk, not, not all of these years since you started painting, which isn't that long ago. Um, but, yeah, I guess that's mm-hmm. always how I read your scale choices but I realized I've never actually asked you about it (laughs) yeah I I definitely think so that that's absolutely true and there's also this aspect of I think the kind of bodily relationship of the viewer to the painting is also plays into that where with the big ones it's very much the relationship of the body to the painting and the small ones it's the face the eye yeah the eye and it's the same for me it's like the hand and then to make the little ones it's much more the hand the body and the big ones are much more the body and so that's also was a good reason to kind of really start to eliminate the medium size because it makes that kind of relationship to the body clearer yes and I think there's also that there is a aspect of looking and I think it's becoming more apparent in the more recent work this aspect of looking through Mm -hmm. so the portals these kind of portals or spaces that you can descend into in the larger works versus the often more densely layered small paintings that Mm -hmm. are perhaps more opaque but also because of the way because of their scale function like the window or the screen maybe it's more rather than nowadays but I wondered about yeah. the body in relationship to the work from the exhibition called Heat from 2020. 
So, I mean, I know this, but I also think it's obvious maybe when you're standing in front of one of these works that your body impressions of your actual physical body are in the surface of the painting. Mm -hmm. And I wonder if you want to like talk a little bit about that because I know some of those paintings are the pieces at at an art gallery at the moment. Yes. (laughs) The heat show was really, I think that was like a bit of a breakthrough in terms of the body painting because that was the body printing because that was something that was really new. It really came out of the fact that I had always been using my, as many painters do, been using my body as well as my tools to um, to make marks in my painting. So I'd use my fingernails a lot, my fingerprints, and it really just felt like it was almost just like a natural progression to start using my body. And I think something that I was trying to get at that point was trying to work out with my body was I was like using, I was trying to kind of use my body is a stamp. In one of the paintings, I was really trying to keep it on some kind of grid, so it was really very much read as just another mark. But of course, if you know, when, well, once you are told or whatever, it's like they're obviously breasts, and then it's obviously, um, you know, that obviously changes, like really loads up the understanding of the work by realizing that it's a woman's body, like imprinted in the work, and yeah, uh, which I was really interested in. I was trying to figure out, kind of work through that because there was some kind of really obvious art historical references that I wasn't so interested in, like the Eve Klein kind of yeah. way you could read it, which I was just like, I don't want to, you know, that's not the kind of conversation I'm trying to have. That really was the kind of, I guess, the jumping off point for me writing my thesis because I was trying to work through some things about the body in order to understand like what I was doing, why I was doing it. And now the body prints have taken, they're still there when they need to be, but they have kind of a different role now, I think. And I think they're more, they're more subtle and they go more to, to mark making and yes. uh, maybe eventually come out as the body. And I like to kind of play games with them because I find it quite, I, I guess when I'm making the work, I find it, if I'm thinking about these, maybe I'm thinking about like a particular historical painting. Say maybe I'm thinking about a Fragonard painting where I often observe that he would make these paintings where there's like this empty centre, some kind of lacuna in the centre and the the bodies are kind of relegated to the to the edges. Mm-hmm. So I kind of like to play games with the body print as maybe that is the figure in the corner of this dramatic landscape or something like this. I guess I don't miss the body print being so apparent because, or explicit because I think that there is something happening in the new work where I guess it comes back to that idea of collapsing that space. You don't have to literally see the body to understand that a body had to have an extremely intimate relationship with a canvas that big to be able to physically paint it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, I thought I could just, I was thinking again, because when you were making those paintings, I was writing the essay for Ruth, you feature in that essay, <laughs> and I thought maybe I could just like read that little bit, Yeah, because it's a convenient Please. segue. So I'm talking about Ruth's work and touch and how you might conjure meaning through interaction with a surface. And I say, there are things you can touch and things you want to touch that compel you through the prospect and memory of touch. 
I read a painter friend's thesis about paint and sex and blood. This woman is very important to me. Her paintings are dripping and full like the body and they have boobs and fingers and fingering. She got me thinking about Carolee Schneeman and how, quote, hand touch sensibility, end quote, was one of the terms she pulled out of her vagina in 1975. It was actually a really useful thing for me to read your thesis at the time of writing this piece on Roth's work, which ended up being uh, in the middle of a lockdown and the text was supposed to be like a thousand words and it ended up being 6,000 or something. (laughs) I always liked that little feature. And um, yeah, I wondered if it might be a convenient segue to talk about Carolee Schneeman because... um, I guess when I think about the explicit, uh, the body stamp in your work, it does make me think of a particular type of feminist practice from the 70s, which I know has been influential on you in certain ways. Yeah, and I I think something that I was thinking about in terms of Schneeman too is that infuses, her video infuses, I think this breakdown between kind of paint and skin and sex and I found that like incredibly amazing and like that video really amazing and and kind of really made me yeah really helped me think about like work through how I was thinking about the body prints in my own work and to me I think that that video was very controversial at the time because it was her and her lover having sex and but really like for me watching the video was it seems so much about paint and kind of like sens- the sensuality of paint. It's just sexy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I well, guess. I think this is, um, but there's sexy and then there's also a, a word or a concept that you and I have spoken about a lot. And it was also a crossover again between the conversations I have with Bruce and the conversations I have with you. And that's um, the erotic. And I think maybe you could say a few words about how Audre Lorde's concept of the erotic has influenced you. I know it pops up in your thesis, Mm -hmm. but it also pops up in the statement that you made before your, what do you call it, presentation for your MFA final (laughs) review? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, So maybe, obviously, that's kind of a, a concept of enduring interest. Yeah, certainly. I think this is like the the erotic is something I've been thinking through a lot because I'm very interested in kind of the erotic and that kind of erotic sensuality in painting. And as an abstract painter, it's been a lot of thinking through like how how far from can I get from kind of a representation of the body while still making paintings that are very sensual and evocative of the body and have some kind of erotic charge and yeah, this kind of Audre Lords. This is what was the line that I wrote in my statement. Um, the erotic is not a question only of what we do; it is a question of how acutely and fully we can feel in the doing. Strive for fullness. Yeah, this kind mm. of idea of fullness and kind of I think these maximum sources of information, which I guess that's an idea that comes from Carolee Schneeman as well, and. It's something that I'm really kind of channeling in my painting is that there's they're very full and it can be almost sensory overload. Um, yes, absolutely. 
<laughs> and I, I'm always what makes paint so essential and how I look at, as you know, I'm very um, interested in Fragonard and some of those Rococo painters, Watteau for kind of, I think because they are, of course, they had very erotic subjects, but what was also very essential about their paintings was the way they painted as much as what they were painting. And so that's yes. kind of been, and there's a lot of fullness in those paintings too. I'm also like always, I guess painting is full of contradictions. And I think that, you know, I, I'm also like always talking about fullness and wanting this fullness and this kind of, but also there's, I'm also talking about blankness and emptiness. And as you know, there's like these empty centers in my painting. So I think mm. there's this balance between both and they, they need each other. It's like I can't, otherwise the paintings would become kind of overly expressive and over the top if they didn't. Or have just undifferentiated. Undifferentiated, exactly. Well, I also think there's that, particularly in the new work, where there is more space between the marks and the colours. Mm -hmm. It is much more about how you put things in relation how one mark is in relation to another mark, what one colour does in relation to another yeah. colour, and that process of putting in relation to is actually an ethics of practice in and of itself, which I think mm -hmm. is super interesting to not feel that. And I guess, yeah, and I guess yeah. in this idea yeah, of totally. collapsing space, that's such an important, it's like a political act, if you like. <laughs> um, I guess one of the things that I've noticed in the work since moving to Los Angeles is that the compositions are much less integrated or much, uh, they're not all over in the way that they were when they were sort of bounded by the grid. What I think is interesting is I sort of feel like this, this empty space in the centre is almost like you've cracked the painting open, turned it inside out and like revealed its insides or the substance of it mm -hmm. yeah and do you want to talk a little bit about how you feel about moving away from the grid which is perhaps when you went to LA that was very central to your practice mm -hmm. yeah the move away from the grid really kind of came halfway through my time at Art Centre and it was really I think realizing that I had always wanted this kind of structure on what what to pin kind of all the looseness on. And I think it was really me getting to this point where I felt that the structure is always there very quietly, even if it's just like the warp and weft of the linen. And that, you know, there are other ways that some kind of grid can make itself its way into the work without it needing to really dominate. And at some point, Bruce Hainley said to me, who was my mentor at Art Centre, said to me, you really need to start thinking about how attached you are to the all over and why you're clinging onto it, basically. And that was really, I think, very liberating for me because I was just, I don't need to have this structure. I guess it was holding me back and breaking from the grid really allowed me to deal with composition at that point. Mm. Yeah, that I mean, a, yeah. not to make a stupid pun, but it was like a safety net. Yeah, it was a safety net. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it was literally a net. <laughs> yeah. It held the paintings together. Yeah, it was. And the edges of the canvas have always been a site of interest of, to me. And all these framing conventions of painting are always interesting to me. And I 
notice them always in historical painting that there's always some kind of framing device whether it's trees or whatever it is building sort of a, being able to play with the framing led to these empty centers yeah there's always like these two things that kind of in opposition to each other which I'm trying to work through work out sit in between so it's inside and outside I think there's always this moving between those two states in my painting as there is also this landscape and abstraction thing that they also kind of jostle between. Yeah, it's funny. I don't ever really read them as landscapes. Of course, you know, you can recognise like a horizon and some. But I also wondered, did you feel like, because I have a, I have this suspicion that in Aotearoa, New Zealand, we have a particular uh, obsession with the landscape form, <laughs> landscape as a subject matter. <laughs> and I went like, did you find when you went to California that, people weren't maybe as eager to read your painting as landscapes or is this just my (laughs) (laughs) sort of parochial theory? (laughs) I definitely think there's less obsession with the landscape here than there is Mm. in Aotearoa, but I don't know if that, I do get like a kind of a, I guess it's not so much a landscape reading, but I get, I guess people are sensing a lot of space in my work and that it's it's like a defined, it's like some kind of space. It's not, it's not, it's an atmospheric space. Yeah, but I don't, I, yeah, that's true. I think that's a good point. I don't really <laughs> get the p- specific landscape reading so much. <laughs> well, I think also we've just got such a, a heavy, and we've got an art, a local art history, yeah, heavily yeah. front loaded, loaded with yeah. landscape. <laughs> yeah, totally. Um, Obviously, moving to California was always going to, change my paintings because you know it's like a whole new context but I think it's been incredibly liberating in a way that's been like really helpful has really liberated my work as well I think that's kind of the breaking from the grid has come out of that yeah yes yeah absolutely I mean there's so many things that have that have changed and it has not only it hasn't been any it hasn't <laughs> it hasn't been a typical two years um, no. <laughs> living in LA and I do think that there has to be so many people a um, moment where I don't know of like existential crisis where yeah. it also feels like a good moment to like shed some shed some shed the safety net because yep. reassess it all, all of those yeah. things that the yeah. pandemic made us do so um, I think we've covered a lot. I think the only thing in my list that we haven't touched on is colour. And I wondered if maybe you wanted to read a part of your the statement that you made at your final review because it's a beautiful piece of writing and it also addresses colour very directly. Mm-hmm. All right, I'll read from the start. Maybe I'll read three paragraphs. Pink like Albertine's two cheeks, so glossy one's glance might slip over their pink enamel. Pink like geranium petals, let everything bloom. Pink like tiapolo, or like the watered silk tea gowns of Watu. Rouge your paintings, their surface skin full of texture. Matte, creamy, glossy, glazed, glittering, glowing, gleaming, like makeup. Some paintings are exorcisms of colour, they have to be. When one becomes so obsessed with a certain shade, how can we really measure colour when we know it only by what is beside it. The seduction of the unknowable thing. Fuck everything that moves with every colour available. 
let's check what I'm quite an ongoing question how far from viscera and flesh can a painting get while still being about sensuality and desire let lust be understood as the experience of, of senses bound to a surface take it all in with your body crave a source of maximum sensory information listen to Audrey Lord the erotic is not a question of only of what we do it is a question of how acutely and fully we can feel in the doing strive for fullness to paint is the power of extending whatever you see or feel of intensifying it of reshaping it break down the threshold between mind and body more body more unintelligibility Edith Ekblad said of painting, cheesy but true, I cannot be concerned with its death when working at it makes me feel so alive. Tell people you've been alive. Put things in motion, gushing like the foaming waters of Fragonade and its pooties tumbling plump peachy bodies. Make paintings that gush with too much everything. In motion, like Baudelaire's sea journey past Cathera in search of a lush island orgy overlooked by Venus, finding instead only a rocky, barren island with bloodied flesh hanging from the gallows. For in the end, our painting projections pertain to rock, to dirt, to the deeply material reality of the substance. Be seduced. Find your moments of sublimity and then feel your way back to the earthen reality of it all. More alchemy, more surprises. Press and express tubes of paint. Turn their contents from gold to dirt and back into gold. Give pigments the weight of their mineral source. Make the rock rocky and the chemical acidic. Maybe this is all hard to follow, but that's the point. Karina, of course. Amazing. I think it seems like a really good place to. <laughs> that seems like a really good place to finish. Okay. Fuck yeah. everything that moves with every color available. <laughs> you can visit Crossings at the Adam Art Gallery Te Patakatoi between 19 June to 22 August, or view online at www.adamartgallery.org.nz